So it's interesting because last Saturday, so just eight days ago, eight days ago, um, I was contemplating even addressing the, the fears that seem to be bubbling up in our culture. And I thought, man, should I, should I not? Friday, I was like, I don't think so. Saturday, I was like, yeah, I probably should say something. Uh, I should just say a little something on Sunday. So I did. So last Sunday, if you were here, you know, like, during, the, it's during the announcements, I said, just so you know, as, as it seems to be bubbling, and, and in the last uh, week, obviously, it's gone from bubbling to then uh, boiling over and spilling over and spewing what it seems to be like, like everywhere. But if you're here, actually, because I was reflecting about what I said last week, and I thought, like, I still think that holds to be true, ultimately. It holds to be true. I said that we are to be uh, guided by wisdom and not by fear. And so this, this idea that we're not to, we're, like, wisdom and fear, like, like, we're not to be afraid, but we are called to be wise, and, you, if, and if what you do is, is you are ruled by your fears, you're, if you're ruled by your fears, you'll make some very poor decisions, some very unwise decisions. But on, and so we say, like, even this morning, there are people that are not here because it's wise that they're not here. It's just wise that they, in fact, the last service, there's just some wisdom that, that they're not here this morning. It's probably a wise thing. But, but for us that are here, I think that it is wise. If we can be, it's, it's good that we gather together. In places like this, it's good that the community gathers together to, so that you realize that you're not alone. So on the one side, there's fear, and then there's wisdom. But on the other side, there's the sense of like pride, too. Have you ever noticed this? Like pride. And so fear can make you make unwise decisions, but so can, so can pride. Because fear could say, well, I'm not going to go with to, 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 well, even to church. I'm not going to go to church because who knows what will happen. And so you go, fear will rule you. But on the other end, it's, it's pride. The pride can do the same thing, make you make unwise decisions too. Like you get like a coronavirus. I'm going to lick my hands. I'm going to lick my hands. I don't care. Yeah, because I, 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 I can get it. I don't care. And you go, but that's actually, that's, that's arrogance. And arrogance will cause you to make poor decisions too. And so here we find ourselves, hopefully, in this, this wise place. We're making wise decisions. And last week, I talked about this idea of fear. We're not to fear death, and we're not to fear people. It's an interesting thing about death. Did you know, spoiler alert, that you are all going to die. Like, I'm going to die. I know. This is a shocker. And this is actually much more real this week than it probably was last week, which I think is actually appropriate as we approach uh, Good Friday and the death of Jesus. We go, we go, man, we are actually thinking like, man, people could die. You go, yeah. You look at the numbers and they're scary. But we're not to fear death. But it's going to come to us all. And if fear is your greatest death, the last thing you will do in this life is face your greatest fear. And I don't think that's a, necessarily a wise way to go out. And so we don't have to fear it. And really we don't have to fear it because Jesus has conquered the death for us. Right? He, that's the whole, that's the, one of the big things about the gospel is that we don't have to fear death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We don't have to fear death. And, I, and I, it's interesting because I think that the Christians, we would go, yes, I've got it. I, I, view differently that I, I view death differently than the world does, except for when death becomes a reality, it seems like our theology on death becomes very clear about what we believe. 
And so as death would be even become a, a, an option, we go, oh man, my, my, my theology on death, uh, maybe it's, it's changing a little bit. And I would say the same thing. We don't have to fear death and we don't have to fear people. By the way, there's a difference between social distancing and, and isolation. It's funny because even the term social distancing, I came back to this country uh, with a new term all of a sudden was everywhere, social distancing. I'm like, okay, really quick, what is that? Because I've been gone for a whole week. And so, uh, wait, what is that term? Like, what does that even mean? And I go, but social distancing doesn't necessarily mean isolation. And so, so we're not to fear people. We're to be wise, but we're not to fear death, and we're not to fear people. We see this. We see actually even Jesus, right? Jesus walking in and, and not, he's just not fearing people. They're like, you shouldn't touch that guy. You shouldn't talk to that person. And Jesus, you know, he was, he, was, he was not afraid of those things. He didn't fear people because he knew. He knew that actually when he touched them, they would, they would be healed. Not necessarily true of you, so you should be a little bit wise in that. But, but, but Jesus, he did, not fear, he did not fear the death and did not fear people. And we shouldn't either. And so... As we were even gathering, I thought, man, we, we, as Christians, we've got to be different. It's in these moments where you go, if, if all that Christians do is respond just the way that the world does, then what different are we? Then what do we really believe? If what happens is that everything, when everything's thrown into chaos, it completely changes our theology, then what did we really believe in the beginning? And so we have to be different. We have to respond uh, differently. And the beautiful thing is that if you read church history, any church history, even a little bit of church history, you would see the church does like really well in the place of crisis. The church comes together. As people are fleeing the city, it's the church that goes into the city. And so even my prayer has been, God, as, as, as chaos is ensuing, may your church be, be a place of a foundation. May your church be a place of... of um, sort of riding the ship, calming the waters, that we would respond differently because we believe something different. And so in that, then I started to think about this morning, about how do I talk this morning and, and how can I um, pastor you well? Because there's a lot of things that I do not know. Um, I have just, I have not, there's a lot of things I have not heard from the Lord on, right? The Lord has not spoken to me about what's going to happen with the financial markets. If he had, I'd be really rich. So <laughs> if God had spoken to me on those things, then I would have a lot of money. Buy, sell. God has not spoken to me about how, severely, how severe this will get. God has not spoken to me about will you get it, will I get it. When will this end? How will it end? What will it look like on the other side? A lot of unknowns, a lot of things I don't know. In fact, actually, I can't even tell you I can't even say, like, this is a total overreaction, totally overblown, unnecessary. I can't even say that. And, but on the other hand, I can't say that, I also couldn't say we're not doing enough. We have to do more. I don't know. And history will tell us. History will. So I thought, there's a lot of things I can't tell you this morning. But then I thought, but there are some things that I can. And actually what, what we need most probably what you need most and I need most is that it's not even come from me, but from the scriptures. And so I thought, I think that's what we need. 
And so we're going to do something a little different this morning, differently than we would normally do it, is because I would like this this morning to do a lot of just the, uh, the public reading of Scripture as a way of, of anchoring ourselves in God's Word. And so we're going to do some stuff. I'm going I'm to read some verses, and then I'm going to just do a little commentary on them. And I'm going to read some more verses and some commentary on them. And then we're going to end with, um, with one verse where I spend a little more, little more time on. But what I want to do is I, I, want to, I want to just spend our time in God's Word. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's just start this morning. We're going to work our way through some passages this morning. We're going to start in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let me read that again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Another word for stronghold, maybe your translation has it, is is a refuge. The Lord is my salvation. Who am I going to be afraid of? The Lord is my refuge. Who am I going to be afraid of? I believe that the Lord saves me. Who am I going to be afraid of? I believe that I can run to the Lord. Like, He's my refuge. He's the one that I run to. And I run to Him because He's the one that can save me. Have you ever seen a little child scared? The little child will run to the one that they think can save them. There's a connection between where we run to and what we believe will save us. And what he says is, he goes, the, one, the thing that I run to, God, the thing that saves me is God. And because those th- two things are true, is I run to him and he's the one that saves me, I don't have any reason to be afraid. I've got no reason to be afraid of. What am I going to be afraid of? He's my refuge. What's stronger than him? He's my savior. What can save better than him? Nothing. What should I fear? And so it's really interesting is that where you run to in the day of trouble will tell you something about what you think will save you. And there's times in, in life when, when you need to illustrate things really well and a sermon you illustrate really well. There's other times when the culture in which we live, the time in which we live, illustrates everything that we need to talk about. I was uh, reflecting this last week uh, with, uh, on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a famous preacher in London uh, during World War II. And he would talk about and remember what it was like to preach sermons in London as London is being bombed. And so you could hear the, the bombs going off in the distance. And you go, he's talking about what it was like to preach in that kind of environment. I go, yeah, you don't need a lot of illustrations there, right? Those illustrations are going off and they can, they can hear them. And so my question to you, when you think about our world, our culture, is that where did we run to? Where'd you run this last week in your fear? Target? You know, people went to Target, went to Target, I went to Target. Run to the news, right? Refresh, refresh, refresh. Breaking news, refresh, refresh, refresh. Breaking news, refresh, refresh, refresh. If I could just get the information, that would save me, right? If I could just get the, uh, the toilet paper and bottled water, evidently, that will save me. Did you run to your 401k? Oh, my gosh. 
I've got a lot less money now than I did a week ago. Will there be enough provision? My 401k, I ran to it because it will save me. Now hear me on this. It's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not saying like you shouldn't have gone, like, you shouldn't go to Target. Uh, you know, you shouldn't check the news and you shouldn't check your 401k. Those are good things. I, I, I did those. I checked, I checked my, my investments. I checked uh, the news and I, and I went to, to Rayleigh's. The, the question is not going to them. The question is running to them. First thought, boom, got to go. Because where you run to in that day will tell you where you think your salvation comes from. And what he says, he goes, I got no reason to fear. I got no reason to fear because, because, I, because of God. And I run to him and he will save me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 56. Verses 3 and 4. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to me? By the way, this is going to be a little bit of a, of a theme as you'll see this morning. What can flesh do to me? The answer is a lot, right? The flesh can do a lot to you. But not so much to justify the fear of it. And this is what he's saying. Like, like, like what, what would the flesh do to me? Nothing. Not enough to justify the fear. There's a connection between fear and trust. Right? Where you run to will tell you what you believe will save you, and what you run to will tell you where your trust is. And so if ultimately you think your trust is in, if I have enough money, if I have enough money, I'll be okay, then your trust is in your money. And so that's why you run to your money, because you think your money will save you, and you think that it will, your trust is in that. If I have enough here, I'll be okay. But what he says, he goes, no, I actually, I, my, my, my trust is in God. He's my refuge. He's the one that I run to because I believe he saves me, and because of that, I trust in him. What can flesh do to me? It goes on, Psalm 91, verses 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that strikes in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Let me read that again. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Because you're not going to fear any of that. No matter how it comes, no matter when it comes, I'm not going to fear it. What if the destruction comes at noonday? Not going to fear it. What if it comes in the middle of the night? Not going to fear it. What if it's arrows? Not going to fear it. What if it's pestilence? Not going to fear it. Not going to fear what comes, how it comes, when it comes. Uh, because my trust is in the Lord. And I love this. Six, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Currently there is a pestilence that is stalking in darkness. And he goes, I'm not going to fear it. 
Psalm 118. By the way, I could have, there's a lot more. I had, to, I had to select verses this morning. It may not seem like that, but I actually had to select verses. Narrow them down. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Listen to that. He set me free. The Lord answered and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. He set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. It's interesting because when we fear, we don't feel like God is on our side and we're not free. You get trapped by anxiety. You get trapped by fear. And you feel like God's not on my side. God is not with me. And he goes, nope, God's on my side. He sees me. I am free. I will not fear. And here it is again. What can man do to me? The answer is a lot, but not, not as much, right? Not, not as much, not, not beyond God's protection. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as a helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better than the refuge to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Think about how much now we're like, we're trying to trust. Here's the thing. We, we, we don't, there's so much we don't know, right? You hear one report that says one thing followed up by a report that says something else. You hear one people go, it's not that bad. And then somebody else will say, this is worse than you think. We're overreacting. We're underreacting. You can get it this way. You can't get it that way. It only affects these people, but it's more than that. And so it's interesting that we think if, we ha- if I just had that information, then I would know what to do, which is probably true, but we don't put our trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord, to run to him than it is Right? To trust in man. And I love here how he, he doesn't say it's better to trust the Lord than man, which is actually, by the way, also true. It's better to trust in God than it is to trust in man. But what he says is better to run to God than to trust in man. It's better to find him as your stronghold than to trust in man. Luke chapter 12. Now we got Jesus is speaking. In case you're like, well, yes, but does Jesus ever talk about that? Jesus talked a lot about fear. Jesus chapter 12, verses 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You you are of more value than many sparrows. And so, once again, we see Jesus say this. Don't fear the one who can, and I love this, just kill the body. Like that was like, ah, that's nothing. That's a big deal. But don't fear the one who can just kill the body. 
Because after they kill your body, there's nothing else they can do. That's it. That's all. Like, they're out. Like, they're all, uh, all their cards have been played. All their cards are on the table. They got nothing left. Because don't fear that person. You should fear, you should fear God. Because actually God can kill you and then destroy you. That's the thing. Like, he can, like, cast your soul into hell. You should, you should fear him. But notice how he follows that up of, like, you should fear him. But, but know this. Because they're probably like, just fear God, fear God, be afraid of God, fear, be afraid of God. He's like, if you're going to be afraid of anyone, be afraid of God. But know this first. Five sparrows, two pennies. But did you know that not one of those sparrows falls without God knowing that? And did you know how many hairs are on your head? Because God knows that. And what he's really saying is that actually... If you're going to be afraid of anything, be afraid of God. But, here, but know this, is that with God you have worth, and with God you are known. I mean, do you, do you know how many hairs are on your head? Do you? No, you don't. I don't. Some of you go, well, less than yesterday. You know, so it's like Saturday is greater, it was, you know, it was greater than Sunday. But even that, like that's like, you don't know. But you know what that tells me? That God knows more about you than you know about you. God knows you better than you know you. You think, oh, I know myself the best. No, you don't. God knows you better than you. Because like, God can say one question. How many, how many hairs on your head? I don't know that. I do. And that's not the only thing I know about you. I know all sorts of things about you that you don't even know. And he goes, so if you're going to fear anybody, don't fear man because they can just kill you. That's it. You fear God. That's the one. You be afraid of God. And by the way, when you think about be, being afraid of God, know that he... He knows you more than you know yourself, and you have got great worth to him. And then we get First John. First John chapter four, verse seventeen. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so what we find out up to this point is that if you're going to fear anything, if you're going to be afraid of anything, you'd better be afraid of God. Because he's the only one. He's the only one who can destroy your body and your soul. Like he's the only one you need to be afraid of. And then we find out later, and you don't need to be afraid of him. The one thing that you have to, that you should fear is God. Be afraid of God. And we find out, and actually you don't, you don't even have to be afraid of him. Because he knows you. You have worth to him. And he goes, his fear is tied with judgment. That God will judge you and then reject you. And he goes, but here's the beautiful thing that in Christ, right, is that he took on the judgment so that you won't be rejected. God won't cast you out in Christ. So we see this beautiful picture of like, man can't do anything to you. Run to God for he is your refuge. He is the one who will save you. You are to trust in him. And if you're going to fear anything, be afraid of anything, be afraid of God. But here's the beautiful thing. You don't need to be afraid of him. 
In other words, there's nothing that you need to fear. And the last place I want to go is comes from the Apostle Paul. And interestingly enough, I, I actually I preached on this in greater length a few months ago, but uh, thought it'd be appropriate this morning in Philippians chapter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This idea that he's going to talk about anxiety, which is interesting, but he's going to start with joy. I want you to rejoice in God. Rejoice in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you missed it the first time, again, I'm going to say rejoice. It's interesting because we actually think that joy should be a part of life, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the interesting thing is that whenever happiness becomes the goal, we never end up getting. Whenever joy becomes like the goal, like I'm going to do that because of the joy that it would bring, it actually, a lot of times it, it escapes us because joy is always meant to be, for the most part, a byproduct of something else. Right? I mean, to put this in relationship terms, if you get into a relationship and go, I want to get into that relationship because they're gonna, they, will, they will bring me the joy that I'm missing. They're going to give me joy. And I go, well, they're probably, they'll bring you some joy for sure, but they're probably going to disappoint you too. And if you're looking to that other person to give you ultimate joy, you're both going to end up miserable. Why? Because joy is a byproduct of something else. Rejoice in the Lord, the greatest relationship we can have with God. And part of that byproduct that we would have in a relationship with God is this idea of joy. So he goes, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. I think maybe they should have put this verse at Target this week. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The toilet paper aisle. The reasonableness be known to everyone. Do people think that you're reasonable? Even in this time. Do people think you're reasonable? And I love how Paul doesn't say, just be reasonable, be reasonable. But what he says is actually, let your reasonableness be known by everyone. In other words, other people have to look at you and go, yeah, we think that they're reasonable about that. Because truth be told, in our own, in our own view, in our own eyes, we're always reasonable, right? It's everybody else that's unreasonable. Like, yeah, they, they, like, the, what I'm doing is reasonable. Everybody else is unreasonable and irrational. Because now, now actually, other people need to look at you and be like, I, I, see, I see your reasonableness. In the midst of chaos, do people see your reasonableness? In the midst of great fear in our country, do people see your reasonableness? As everything is shutting down, do people see your reasonableness in your life, in your homes, in your work, in your neighborhoods, in your schools? Even in the midst of chaos, 
And this is part way, even right here is where I go. I go, see, people are looking at Christianity and they go, they're just as reasonable as anybody else. I go, that's a problem. In moments like these, also not moments like these, but especially in moments like these, the world should be able to look at Christianity and go, that seems reasonable. He goes on, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with God, let your requests be made, be made known to God. Do not be anxious about what? About anything. Your question is like, Josh, is there, like in the Greek, is there an except that was left out in the New Testament? Like, except, you know, uh, be anxious about nothing except, in the Greek it does say except for your 401k, that you can be anxious about. Or except for uh, disease, that you can be anxious about. Like, those are reasonable. But actually what he says is be, be anxious about nothing. But in everything, what? Be prayerful. Because truth be told, I'm, and I'm glad that Paul does this, because, because the worst thing you can say to somebody who's suffering from anxiety is what? Don't be anxious. You're like, oh, okay, got it. Like, okay, all right. It's like, why are you so anxious? Like, okay, stop that. Okay, done. If it was that easy, they would have just stopped being anxious. Now they're actually anxious about their anxiety. Like, well, now I'm more anxious because you think that I'm anxious, and now that, that brings me greater anxiety. So actually, one of the worst things you can say to somebody with anxiety is just, just don't be anxious. Just stop it. Okay. But Paul says, be anxious about nothing, but prayerful about everything. And that's what I love. He said, I'm going to tell you what you do with your anxiety. You take your anxiety, and you turn it into a prayer. And by the way, do you know the difference between an anxious thought and a and a, a righteous prayer? It's really just about who's being addressed. You see, the anxious thought is about you're addressing, often you're addressing yourself. But the prayer is you're addressing God. So it's like the difference between, I, I don't think there's going to be money, enough money this month. What am I going to do? Anxious thought. Prayer? Oh God, I don't think there's going to be enough money this week, this month. What am I going to do? And the only difference there is about, is about the audience. And so what I love is, is what he says. He goes, he goes if, if that's you, turn, you take your anxious thoughts and you turn them into prayers. But what if my fears are, are irrational and, and dumb? Spoiler alert, all of your fears are irrational and dumb. All of my fears are irrational and dumb. They are real, but they're not reality. Because what, what do we just look at in the whole Bible? Fear nothing, fear nothing, fear nothing. Fear nothing except for God. Run to Him, salvation. Run to Him, your refuge. Run to Him to put trust in. You should fear nothing but God. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to be afraid of God. So some of I go, all of my fears, although they're real, but they're, they're not, it, through the lens of Scripture, they're not rational. 
that says that something else is, 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 is greater than God. And so he says, just turn those into prayers. Prayers of supplication and thanksgiving. Supplication is a way of asking God for things, right? God, would you please? God, would you please? God, I ask that you would. And then uh, the thanksgiving is, God, thank you that you have. So I love it here. He goes, I want you to pray with thanksgiving. God, thank you that you have. With supplication, God, thank you that you will. Or thank you that, or we ask that you will. And so it's this beautiful thing, God, thanksgiving, God, you have been so good in the past. And God, I ask that that goodness would be true in my present and my future the thanksgiving prayers are about your past the supplication prayers are about your present and your future and it's actually a way of saying god i trust you with my past and the same way that i trust you with my past is the same way that i trust you with my present and my future if god has gotten you to this point he and he has you're all here he's gotten you to this point we're here together he's gotten you to this point this is it's, it's the same trust that god i trust that you're going to give me to the point that go past this point whether that be today, whether my life ends today, or 40 years from today, or 50 years, or 60 years from today, I trust you in the same. I trust you with my past, thanksgiving. I trust you with my present and my future, supplication. And then he goes, and this is what the promise is. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. The promise is that the peace of God will guard you. Notice, by the way, what it doesn't say, right? Is that you do all of this and then everything will turn out the way that you want it to turn out. Everything will be done just as you said. Like you said, oh, and then I prayed and then I was like, Lord, so be it. And so be it, it was. That's not what that it says. It actually has nothing to do with even the circumstances will change. You may even pray this sort of prayer and the circumstances get worse. What it says is that you pray these sorts of prayers and the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. And by the way, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards your heart and guards your mind. And I go, man, how Christians could be different here? Go, how in a time like this, how can we be different than the world? I go, well, it's about what we run to and it's about this peace. How can you be so peaceful in a time like this? And by the way, peace does not mean um, apathy, like peaceful, like, eh, I don't care, whatever. But people are dying. Well, yeah, no, no big deal. Not my thing. You know, that, that, that is not, that's not the peace that he's talking about here. That's apathy. That's indifference. That's much different than peace. You know, this peace is that you realize you trust. I've got peace because I trust in a God who's bigger than me who knows more than me, who says I can run to him, who will save me, and so I trust in him. And he says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds. 
It's interesting, isn't it? There's actually a big debate right now of understanding. Is, is our reaction in fear greater? Is it doing greater damage? This is the question we're asking right now. Is, is our reaction to the virus doing greater damage than the virus would do itself? To which I would say, I don't know. I mean, something, history will tell us that. But what I do know is that one reaction is all about protecting our, our bodies, making sure we don't spread and nothing happens to our bodies. And yet at the same time, our minds and our souls are being ravished. And so I would say, yeah, so... You can protect your body a little bit by using hand sanitizer and being wise in public places. But here's the crazy thing. We could do all of that. We could we could do everything and, and completely protect. We could isolate and completely protect our bodies in that way. And it would do nothing with our minds and our souls. They would just be devastated and what the scriptures say is that you turn your anxiety into a prayer and you'll get the protection you need the most which is the one over your mind and your soul my prayer this week and this last week and this week it will continue to be god would you protect us as a community individually corporately would you protect us would you protect our our minds that we would not be a fearful people would you protect our souls that we would not lose despair as the rest of the world is running in chaos, losing hope, that we would not do that. Protect our hearts, our minds, because that's what we need the most. And this is my prayer. My prayer is that we would be different. We're going to, who knows what lays on beyond today. You, you didn't know this last week. I didn't know it. We don't know what this next week holds. We don't. We don't even know what the rest of today holds. But we know this. We're not to fear. And we're not to fear because we have a God who we can run to, right? He's our refuge, who will save us, who cares for us and knows us, and we get to trust him. And in the places of fear and anxiety where they creep in, he says, and I want you to bring those to me. And when you bring those to me, I'm not going to dismiss them. I'm not going to write them off. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take them, and what I will give you in return is I'll give you my peace. And that peace is going to protect your hearts and your minds. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for um, even this week that your word is so good, that you are so good. God, I think about our world right now that it, that it seems to be scrambling and running everywhere. Running to their banks, running to the to Costco's and to Target's, running away from each other, running into our homes. And not that there can't be some wisdom in, 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 in those directions, but ultimately, first and foremost, that we would run to you because you're the one who saves us. You're the one who protects us. You're the one who can, 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 can look over us and you care for us. We have worth. You know us. God, I pray that you would tr 
you would move in a new way. And I pray that we would trust you and that your peace, your peace that surpasses all understanding would consume us. And because of that, we'd be different. May your peace consume our minds. May your peace consume and guard our hearts. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.